Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. If you've been around the last couple of weeks, you know we're uh, in week three of a series entitled Kickstart, the concept that all of us at some point in time in our life, we need to kickstart our life and get it back on track or get it on track. I don't know anybody that has the ability to go all their life without having to have a course correction. Uh, I read some time back where if you leave Los Angeles on a flight that takes off a half a degree too far to the south and it's headed for Atlanta, that if you don't course correct, you land in Havana. Just slightly different experience. We all have to course correct. The Apollo missions, when they were flying back and forth to the moon, after it was all said and done, they realized that literally only 13% of the time were they on the given trajectory that was planned. They had to spend their entire mission course correcting. What they did was they gave their mission a kickstart. They moved to a different location. They moved at a different pace. The trajectory changed. Most of us need that in our life sometime to have a kickstart in our life. And so we began a couple of weeks ago with a perspective, and literally we said, let's get the right perspective on life. And it was this picture that we all need a base, a base that when you can get there, you are safe. So when you were a kid and you played tag, when you won, you went to base. When you were in danger, what did you do? You got to base. Why? Because that's where it was safe. And so the perspective we had on life started with, what if we were to see God through the lens of how he sees us? What if we were to serve and see others the way God sees them? And then what if others were to see us and see God at work in us? And the perspective we might have is God has called us to week two and we're focused on people. We were created, and we dealt with this last week, we were created for community. None of us were created to function and live in a silo on our own. We were created to be with other people. In spite of the fact, wherever two or more gathered, you've got problems. Doing life together doesn't make it easier. We simply have a better result. And so when you look at this, you'd say, we were built for community. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And what did he say? Let us And so he started with community. He looked at man, and he said, it's not good for him to be alone. Then we went through all the different Bible heroes, and we saw, wow, they were better together. And we are. We truly are. But that's only true when we value people that are different than us. We were built for community, but we were built uniquely. All of us have amazing strengths. All of us. But along with those strengths, we all have some pretty significant weaknesses. And the brighter our strength, at times, the more glaring our weakness is. We were uniquely created to live in community. Why? So we could serve others in love. We could serve in love. And so what we tackled first week was what's our perspective on life? We're going to have a kickstart. Let's have the right perspective. If we're really going to understand how God wants us to kickstart our life, it will always involve people. It will always involve others. And that leads us today to kickstart and living a life on purpose. How do we live this life on purpose? There are people who actually live their life on purpose. They get up and know where they're going, know why they're going, and they're very intentional about their life. And then there's the rest of us who get up and it just says, okay, we'll take it as life comes. And you know, sometimes we don't have a choice in the matter. I mean, life just beats us up at times. And so when I look at that, I think to myself, what would happen if I knew how to live my life on purpose? Well, 
to start, let's try to assume where would we look if we were to start trying to live our life on purpose? What if we wanted to live tomorrow with intentionality? What if we were to say, I count for something. I know God's wired me. He's built me for community. I know he wants me to have a perspective of serving people in love. I know he's made me uniquely, but now how do I do this on purpose? And I believe it all starts with this one thought, and that is God wants us to know him. Several years ago, I was able to speak at the First Baptist Church of the Bronx in New York City. Now, that was a trip. I mean, seriously, it was one of the most fun places I've ever spoken in my life. But they had this huge banner in the stairwell that, where you walked up to go to the worship center. And in the stairwell, the sign, the big banner, I mean, it was massive. It was probably 30 feet long, maybe about four feet high. And it said, today I will not should on myself. Okay, you heard me right. Today I will not S-H-O-U-L-D on myself. I will not should on myself. And then it fin- finished out and said, I don't want to should have could have and don't when I would have, could have and would. And you see, I asked, what's that all about? And I wrote this down and here's the answer I got. We have to be who we are because if you are who you aren't, you aren't who you are. Makes perfect sense, right? Wouldn't it be a tragedy if you're in this room and you're 25 and at 30 you look back and said, I wish I should have, I wish I should have, I wish I could have, I wish I could have, I didn't. If you're in this room and you're 50 and you look back and you're 60 and say, I I, I should have, I could have, and I didn't. I mean, some of the saddest words of a believer is to look back and say, I could have, I should have, and I didn't. But we are built to live with this life of intentionality. And God says, don't go should on yourself today. Go Go ahead and do this. Go ahead and change now. Go ahead and make your life purposeful. Go ahead and make your life intentional. Go ahead and do this because this is how I've wired you and created you to do this. I believe, though, it starts this way. We were all created to testify to the truth. I believe we were all created to testify to the truth. Now, let's stop a minute and let's try to figure out that truth. I believe the truth is the reliability of God's love. I believe when you testify the truth, the truth is God's, the reliability of God's love. Believing that you can't do anything to make God not love you. God loves you. The Bible is really clear here. For God so loved the world. There were no parentheses there. Nothing came with a comma. For God so loved the world but him. But for God so loved the world. It said God is love. God loves you. You say, well, Chuck, he doesn't know what I did last night. Yes, he does. He still loves you. You don't know what I did when I was a teenager. He does, and he still loves you. If I look back on my life, I'm thinking to myself, I would be the least likely candidate on the planet to be a pastor in my mid-50s if you knew me when I was 15 or 25 or 30. And yet, everything I've experienced to this date has prepared me for today, both good and bad. And what is this thing that is purposeful to you? Listen to what uh, John writes in chapter 1, verse 14 in his gospel. John says, so the word became human, speaking of Jesus, and he made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. He's saying, this is what it's about. Testify the truth. If we're going to begin living any life with purpose, it starts with we're going to testify the truth that God has an unfailable love for us. 
and, and accept that. It's, that is the perspective. That's how we're going to serve people. That's where we're going to find purpose in God's unfailing love. But when I look at that, I'm captivated by what the Old Testament prophet Hosea said. He said in chapter 6, verse 6, he said, I want you to show love. This is God. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt, burnt, want burnt offerings. What God's saying through the Old Testament prophet Hosea is this, I don't need you to do more work at the church or for the church. I need you to know me. God is saying more so than what you give, more than what you do, more than, more than the job you hold down, I want you to know me. God is saying, I want you to walk with me and know me. Now, Jen and I, we've been married for a while now, and, and you'd look at this and you'd say, you know what, I'm still learning more about Jenny. Like at 10 p.m. every night, why does she have a burst of energy and want to do a project in the garage? Like, that's just weird. I mean, so every night, 10 to 10, 10, she'll say, it'll only take about 30 minutes, which means anywhere between four hours and six days. We can do this, Chuck. And I said, no, this doesn't do projects at 10 p.m., no. But you know where I wind up? In the garage. You know what I keep doing? 30 minutes, babe, 30 minutes, babe. It's four, five, six times into 30 minutes. Isn't this fun? No, that's not fun. I'm still, no, I'm still learning about her. But you know what? I know her. I know it's coming. Just like she knows this afternoon about 2.30, there's a nap coming. <laughs> See, she knows the worst of me and still loves me. God says, I don't need you to know more about me. I need you to know me. Abide in me. Trust in me. Walk with me. Let me live with you. Walk through every facet of life. The Old Testament prophet Hosea said, God says, I want you to know me. Now, over the New Testament, John writes in his gospel again, he says, this is the way to have eternal life, to know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. But see, if God wants us to know him, how much more so does God want us to join him? See, if Jenny and I are married and we know one another, but I would, I would say to her every Saturday, hey, babe, I know you want to go to that antique place, but we're just never going to do that. I'm, I'm going to go over here, and you just have at it. You know what? She wants me to join her because I know her, and I know what gives her joy. God says, I don't want you to just know me. I want you to know me to the degree that you want to join me. Join me in what? Join me in the redemptive work that I have to reach people. God is all about people. If you think about it, what is God all about? The redemption of mankind. He has come that we might be redeemed. Redeemed from what? Our sin, our slavery to sin. What else? He came to deliver us from religion. I mean, so many of us, we are really genuinely working so hard to be good, we don't have time to know God because we're busy doing stuff. And stuff is killing us. I think the more I grow in Christ, the more aware I am that he didn't come to give me religion. He gave, came to give me a rescue from religion. You see, I look at this and I think, God wants to know me. God wants me to join with him. Now, when I look at this, I think to myself, we were purposed to be in relationship 
with Christ. The only way I'm going to know God is have a relationship with his son because here's what he did. He looked at us and said, those are some messed up people. I'm going to send my son that he can die for them and shed his blood for them. That will pay for all their sin, past, present, and future. And when I choose to walk in relationship with Christ, I begin my knowledge of God, and now I can join him. And you can say, well, Chuck, God can never use me. I live one whacked out life. I will promise you, your life is not any more whacked out than mine has been or is but God's still drawing you and calling you to join him in his redemptive plan of mankind. And as we discover purpose, I want to add this one little parenthetical thought for us. Are you ready? I want to give you permission to stop trying to be good. I want to give you permission to stop trying to act the way people are going to bless you when you get to church. Oh, look, that guy now, I'm telling you, he dresses like a Christian. That girl there, did you see her Instagram? She had her Bible open, highlighters, cup of coffee. Booyah. Christian. Are you with me? I want to give you permission. Stop trying to be a saint. It'll be easier for all of us. Because when we are after man-made applause because we're trying to tackle a religion, we are moving in opposite direction of knowing God. The more you try to prove to somebody that you're a Christian by your activity and not your heart, you're moving away from knowing God. You're not moving in the same path with him. You say, well, Chuck, that can't be right. I mean, I'm supposed to do good things. Yes, because of the overflow of the presence of Jesus in your heart. The only thing good that we offer this world is Jesus, period. You know what the Bible says my heart is full of? And by the way, yours is too. Wicked and deceitful things. And if it's not overflowing in the presence of Jesus, I offer the world nothing. I cannot join. I cannot get it. I don't walk with God. I don't know God. But, you know, there, there is a guy in Scripture that gives us a great picture of what it is to do this. And his, his name is Nehemiah. He comes from the Old Testament, and he has his own book. I, I think somewhere Nehemiah decided, you know, on my tombstone, I don't want them to say, wow, that guy made his chariot payments. I don't want them to write on my tombstone. I don't want my kids after my graveside service to sit around the table and say, you know what dad did? That dad now, he, you know what? He could eat some shrimp po' boys. Do you want your kids to gather around the table and say, I'll you know what my dad did in his life? He made his car payments. Awesome. Don't we all long for something to matter between now and then? And Nehemiah gives us a picture of what that looks like. Nehemiah is about to discover and live out God's purpose for his life. You see, I really believe Nehemiah started this journey, and he had a really great concept that we just sometimes struggle with. I know I do. I struggle with this hugely. Nehemiah started off, and he decided to be receptive to what? To a need. He was receptive to something that needed fixing, something that was broken. I heard, uh, I read a book and then I heard uh, Bill Hybels talk about this a, a week or so ago. What he experienced was what we call a, a white, hot, why? Because when you know why, what do you do? When I know why I serve, when I know why I give, when I, when I know why I go. 
So if you go on a mission trip with us, you know why you go? You see the need. I want to be a part of fixing that. Something broke my heart. When you pack backpacks, why do you do it? I see a need. God burned in my heart. When you help your neighbor out, what happens? I saw a need. I want to answer. You saw why. It became a white, hot why. When when it's something so hot that it's turned white, not orange, and it's just burning in you, then it's the answer of why. Be receptive to needs around you. Some of us, I believe, have a white, hot why being birthed in our heart, but we keep squelching it down because we're afraid of what it might cost us. We are afraid that what it might cost us is we might fail. Could I just stop and say to you, you're going to fail. I had a mission agency a couple of years ask me to come speak to the, their mission groups. They were about to leave and go out on the field. And a couple of weeks after they invited me and I said yes, they sent me what my topic was. The topic was to speak for an hour on failure. That'll bless your heart. Fortunately for them, I have a PhD in failing. I am really good at it. I've done it so often, I, I've just adopted it. I know how to fail. But I want to tell you something. If you're attempting to do anything for the cause of Christ, you are going to have opposition. So I'd ask you, if you don't have any opposition to what you're doing now, are you doing anything for the cause of Christ? This is is not easy. I mean, nobody said you're white hot why. God's going to birth in you a need or something you need to fix or something you need to right or some injustice you need to make good on. And God's not going to make it easy. As a matter of fact, I am more convinced today than ever that the will of God is not like flowing water. It will not find the path of least resistance. It will splat you up against a boulder every now and then. But it doesn't change the white hot why of what God's birthed in your heart. And you say, well, check, I, I don't have that. I don't know of a concern. I don't know of a need. I don't, know. I don't have a white hot why. Then I would ask you, do you have any desire to know God, to be in relationship with him through the presence of Christ, so that the Spirit of God might control your life and Him birthing you a white hot why. And that's what I would say to you. Most of us really know what it is. We've just squelched it for so long that we've poured water on it, and it's not a white hot why. It's just a cold piece of metal rotting in the depth of our soul. But we know what it ought to be. Nehemiah was receptive to a white hot why. Here's what Nehemiah said in chapter 1 in verse 4 verses. He said, In late autumn of the 20th year of King Artaxas' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa Hanani. One of my brothers came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah, and I asked them about the Jews who had survived the, the captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah They're in great trouble and disgrace, and the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been burned. And when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days, I mourned and I fasted and prayed for the God of heaven. Nehemiah's concern, his white-hot why, was that's not good. God promised when his people returned, he would bless them. But instead, when the Jewish nation came back to Jerusalem... Some 80 years after the Babylonians had captured Jerusalem, some 80 years after they'd torn down the walls and burnt down the gates, some 80 years later in Persia, this guy who's a cupbearer for the king, Nehemiah, who his job is to make sure the king's food and his drink is safe, who knows nothing about building walls, he just knows how to eat and drink. And God bursts in his heart and says, that's your white hot why. And don't you imagine Nehemiah had to look to heaven and say, God, you need to give that to some dude who builds. And God said, no, that's your white hot why. That's what you are here to do. 
And you know what? He sat down and he fasted and he prayed and he wept over the white hot why. God's purposes, God's concern, God's white hot why that he burns into your life may often come first as a need before there is a solution. He, he may need to soften our heart and he may need to bring people around us that will share in it, but oftentimes you're the only one with that burden. You're the only one. I was with a guy the other day, and he said, man, what do you want to do in your career at Sugar Hill Church before you're done? And I first thought, I'm only 55, dude. And he said, yeah, but what do we want to have done? I began telling him all the stuff that I thought we could be a part of as a, as a faith family and what God might could do. And he just looked at me and said, I don't know about that. I thought, well, thank you for that endorsement, bro. That's awesome. Yes. Just trust that truck doesn't run over you in just a minute. I mean, seriously, don't you know, folks, when you have a burden and they're just opposed to it? I mean, do you think Satan is just going to jump on board with us and say, hey, man, when, when you start serving people in need, when you start going around the world, when you start opening your doors and welcoming people and you start teaching the Bible and sharing Christ and people getting saved and folks getting baptized, do you think Satan's going to jump on board and say, oh, boy? No. There are times you've got to kick Satan in the teeth and he's going to come out swinging. You've got to kick again. Because he's not happy with what's happening here. And this is when faith and action come together. The belief that God's given me a white hot why. I'm supposed to be about this. But I'm completely unique. There may not be anybody with me yet. That doesn't make it less of a white hot why. Nehemiah was called to it. But you know, he also saw he was receptive to it. But he did something really wonderful. He saw... He saw the bigger picture. Nehemiah saw that this was more than him. It was more than just the walls. He knew that God had promised that when his people would return to Jerusalem, that the blessing of God would pour on them. But guess what happened when those people came back to Jerusalem? They didn't fall in line with God's will for their life. They simply began to party like all the people around them. They adopted everything they had learned poorly in 80 years. They didn't choose to serve the one true God. They chose to do their own thing. And they said, well, this is what we'll do. And this is the difference between good ideas and God ideas. I mean, there's a big difference between a good idea and a God idea. Now, a good idea might be good for now. A God idea will be good for eternity. And Nehemiah was concerned about the eternal life of people. Rebuilding the wall wasn't so that he could do something to be good. Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall so it could be something that was about God. In your life, are you just slammed and swamped with good stuff? Is there anything that trumps all your good stuff that makes it become God stuff? Is there anything that just gets you all jacked up to where you say, I'm all about that because it's what God's called me to do, and it doesn't matter what happens. But you say, no, I'm just a little too busy with all the good stuff. You know, there's only one thing that's going to last you into eternity. It's not your bank account. It's not your 401K. It's not your job, your car, your house, your boat. One thing is going to last into eternity, people. And that gives us to this next point. That not only did he, was he receptive to the need and saw the bigger picture for eternity, he did something that I think is absolutely amazing, especially in today's world. He determined to stay the course Nehemiah decided to stay the course. You see, here's what I find. 
When I look about, about five chapters later in chapter 6 in the same book in Nehemiah, it says, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not set up the doors and the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. These guys were going to get Nehemiah to leave his white hot why, to leave that which he saw eternal, and they wanted to pull him away from that, and they were going to plot to kill him because they were in opposition to what he did. I promise you, when you start doing something for God, somebody's going to oppose you. When you start trying to do something that has eternal significance, somebody's going to slam you. When you start trying to do something, you're going to stay the course. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to walk with God. Something's going to come up in opposition to you. If it's not, take inventory of your life and wonder, why am I out here on my own? And Satan's not attacking me. Now, I I get it. Man, I've got seasons in my life where it's, Lord, could we just go build character in some other church next week? Lord, could you just go mess with some other pastor's family this week? Could you go mess with some other friend's family this week? Lord, we got all the character we can handle right now. But if you're trying to do anything of significance that's a God cause, not a good cause, you're going to have opposition. Here's what Nehemiah, when they tried to get him off the wall, here's what he said in verse 3 of chapter 6. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. I cannot, I will not, I won't. He was not going to should on himself. It's not going to be the story of what I could have, what I would have, what I didn't do. It's going to be this is what I did. Nehemiah saw that he was receptive to a need. He saw a bigger picture. He was going to stay the course, which really brings me to another thought that we probably ought to try to manage in our life. And I would say to you that all of us have something that we ought to investigate in our life. Three things. One of them is what people, what relationships has God put in my path to influence? What has God done? to? to, Where where are those people? Every one of us have people that God's put in our path for a purpose. And some of you are saying, well, I wish you'd take that one out of my way. You know, it's interesting. God has put people all around us, has he not? It doesn't matter what you do for a living. There are people in your path, in your family, in your neighborhood, on your tennis team. There are people everywhere. Uh, Fellow parents at a ball game. There's people everywhere. And God has put them in a path for certain reason. What are you doing to influence those people? And by the way, when we influence people, we influence people three ways. Ready? What we say, what we do, and the most important one, our attitude. For most, most of us, when we're having a bad day, we're all having a bad day. But we influence people everywhere we go. Every place we're at, we influence people. Are we influencing people for our red hot why? Are we influencing people for something that's eternal? Are we influencing those people? God made no mistake when he put those folks in our path. What folks can we influence? What has God called us to do? Secondly, what resource has God called us to invest? I just lost some of you. Some of you just said, Chuck, I don't have any money. I didn't say anything about money. What resource has God given you that you can invest because you're receptive to the white hot why? What resources do you have to invest because you see a bigger picture, you see eternity? What resources do you have to invest because you see that I'm going to stay on course? Chuck, I don't have any money, okay? Then let me ask you this. 
can you clean gutters? Well, yeah, okay, invest it. Oh, Kevin Sterner's over there somewhere. I saw him earlier there. Hey, bud. Uh, Kevin is a designer like crazy good. I mean, like people just love him for him to do their stuff. And um, so he stopped me a few weeks ago, and he said, hey, I, I think we're, I, I want to help somebody. Tell me how to help. And, and so I went home that, that night, and I thought, jackpot. So we set up lunch, and I said, hey, man, we, we're trying to work on the face of our church to give kind of a new look to where we're going and what we're going to be. And I said, do you think you could find time to maybe design a little something to look at it long term and what it would look like? He said, yeah, I can do that, sure, no problem. He said, he said you know, uh, about a week and a half later, he sends me an email, and he says, you know, it's not much. It's maybe a little more than a drawing, but, you know, it's just, it's just a little something. So uh, he came by the office one evening, and, and he puts it up on the screen with Apple TV. And literally, I, I realized right then, God gave us the Sterner family as a gift to this church. And when I got done seeing it, I thought, that is so amazing. That was a resource invested for eternity. When you ride down Highway 20 on the other side of the river and you see our billboard up there, not one penny of your budget went to pay for the rent of that billboard. It's given to us. It's a resource. Are you a plumber? Okay, great. You, got, you can listen. I can cry with somebody. I can sit with a senior adult in a nursing home. What do you have? What resources are you investing? You say, well, Chuck, you know, I'm not in a season right now where I can. I would say, okay. I believe all of us are have seasons where we're just maxed out. You can't. I mean, you, it's just hard to see past tomorrow. I, I believe what happens, our purpose changes radically, I think, during our seasons. We're about to step into a year from now on a totally different journey in our life where we look at this and say, we're empty nesters. Praise Jesus. And all six of our girls will be gone. Praise the I mean, anyway, I'm just saying we're going to be in a new life. There's, there's, there's a little more of us to share. Yeah, but Chuck, you know how much I've done? Well, let me ask you something. What, it, what are you about to do? Do you see that as a bigger picture? What people can I influence? What resource can I invest and then maybe I think one of, the, one of the great challenges that we run across with any of this, and this, how do I make this personal? What character can I develop? Now, uh, this is a tough one for me because I think what we do in our society is we believe the concept that this is something we need to be people of character. Now, you, you pick your definition of character. Maybe, maybe your definition of character is, well, you know, they do what they say they're going to do, or, they, or uh, they, they follow up, whatever. You pick your definition. Could I just say to you, one of the worst things we can do, if we're going to be receptive, we're going to see a bigger picture, if we're going to stay the course, one of the worst things we can do, if we're going to influence people and invest our resources, one of the worst things we can do is believe that is counting on your character or mine. Because my character is going to fail you. Sooner or later, my character will fail you. And you say, well, Chuck, you're the pastor. That just can't be so. I'm also a human, and I know it's coming. If I haven't already, at some point, I'll fail you. I'll promise you that's the case. Now, here's the even sadder news. At some point, yours will. Because, see, we're not called to bank on our character. We're called to let the character of Christ shine through us. You know, there's a lot to be said about leadership that is transparent. I would argue that more powerful leadership is translucent, where when it shines in me, his light shines brighter out of me. 
when Peter in Acts chapter 3 is walking by the gate, beautiful on the way to the temple, and he sees that paralytic there who's never walked, who's never had strength in his feet and his ankles or his legs. Peter looks at that man and he says, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I will give you. And at that point, with hundreds of people probably around that gate at that time, Peter shouts across the group and says, look at me, look at me. And you say, well, man, that's a little boastful, isn't it? But Peter wasn't saying, looking at Peter. He was saying, look at me, and you're about to see the hands of Jesus reach down and hold you. The feet of Jesus walk to you. The compassion of Jesus reach down for you. And he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Get up, walk. And he reached down, the Bible says, with his right hand, and he took that man with his right hand, and seriously, he stood up and he walked. And Peter was able to look at that man and say, it wasn't my character, it was the one who sent me. Today, what I would ask you is this. Are you receptive to what God wants to do with you? Or have you just shut him down? Man, I've had, I've had a life full of failures, and I, I've struggled with everything. I don't, God can't do this. He's God. Of course he can. He's God. He wants to. The more messed up you are, the more he wants you to come home so that he can say, look at that redemption plan. Now, that one was cool. The more messed up you are, the more he says, come on, be receptive to me. Walk with me. Know me. Join me. Be receptive to what God wants in your life today, beginning with your walk, your trust, and your faith in Christ Jesus, his son, who came and died and shed his blood that you might have life so you'd have something to be receptive for. Oh, my goodness, listen. God wants you to invest in people around you. He wants you to stay the course. He wants to hold you in days that are dark, and he wants to encourage you on days that are lousy, and he wants to cheer for you on days that you're winning. All you've got to do is walk with him and trust him. So today, will you be receptive to the one who loves you unconditionally? Will you stay the course with the one that loves you unconditionally? Will you invest in others, even, even and even especially those who are just weird folks to you that, because he loves them unconditionally? Will you stay the course? Because the greatest resource that you can invest is when you place your heart in the hand of Christ Jesus and say, I'm abiding, I'm trusting in you as my Lord, my Savior, my King. Father, we love you. We praise you that on this day we can claim you as Savior, as Lord, as King. That we can be receptive to your spirit, that it might dwell in our heart, that it might change everything about us. That we are called out to be receptive on what you want to do with us. That we might have a willingness to stay the course, that we might have a willingness to let you birth in us a white, hot why to serve others in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. God, get us out of our selfishness and out of our sin to follow you, to believe in you. God, you alone make us brave. You alone call us out. So we trust you, we love you, 
and we want to serve you in the name of Jesus, our King, our Savior, and our Lord. We pray all these things. Amen, amen, and amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.